Hi, everyone. It is Sean with Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. I am very excited to start this series of shorts on Viking Age England. Obviously, this is a podcast on Norse mythology and not necessarily history. Um, so why am I doing this in general? First of all, I find Dark Age history absolutely fascinating. Um, but also, there were groups of people who influenced a lot of what actually happened in the Dark Ages who practiced Norse paganism, the Norse mythology that we discuss on a weekly basis. One, for example, being the Anglo-Saxons, and the other, and the more commonly known, Vikings. When you think about the Vikings, they influenced a lot of what happened in the Dark Ages. They raided and conquered lands in England and France. They traveled to North Africa, to Italy, um, in the Mediterranean. They traveled to Eastern Europe slash Russia. They also settled Iceland. And for a time, Greenland and Canada, all of this uh, considered, they were all over the place. So why did the Vikings do exactly what they did? Meaning, why did they explore? Why did they raid? Why did they pillage? Of course, most Scandinavians at the time were probably humble farmers or something. But the idea of what we think of when we think of a Viking, you probably see a muscular, long-haired brute of a man wielding an axe, ready to take what he wants. So in thinking about this, I personally like to look at the Havamal virtues that we have discussed in this podcast. So on the one hand, when reading that poem, you know, when reading Odin's wisdom, you can see that he stresses the power of oneself and the need to defend your land and family, if need be, to allow yourself and your family to live their best lives. On the more sinister end of the spectrum, you may read it as do whatever is necessary to get what you want, kill, steal, destroy livelihoods, etc. Which leads me to my thought that there probably are multiple reasons why the Vikings initially landed in England. However, I think the primary reason is that they were simply opportunists who wanted riches, land, and reputation. And the lives of those that were lost or ruined who got in their way was necessary. Meaning the Vikings who went on raids were murderous assholes. We can be honest about that. So today, the focus is going to be as I mentioned, on Viking Age England's part one. Each episode is going to end with one major battle. This episode is going to end with the Battle of Eddington in 878 CE. Part two is going to end with the Battle of Brunenburg, which was in 937 CE. And then wrapping up the series on Viking Age England, it's going to end with the Battle of Hastings um, in the Norman Conquest in 1066 CE. So prior to getting into the start, of the Viking Age. I'm going to give you a brief overview of what England looked like in post-Roman Britain. Looking at the country of England in present day, if you look at that map, the entire thing was pretty much um, occupied by Romans for hundreds of years. They arrived in the first century. They ultimately left in the fifth century. So they left in the 400s because the troops needed to you know, help out with the mainland Europe, which also just was experiencing fractures all across the empire. So what happened then, various tribes come in to form their own kingdoms from Northern Europe, the Angles, the Saxons, and the Jutes. As I mentioned earlier, they are now known as the Anglo-Saxons. But if you want to separate them right now, the Saxons 
they formed kingdoms on the southern part of the country, the Angles, the northern part of the country, and then the Jutes landed in Kent, which is a small area in southeastern England. So early on, there were typically seven or eight kingdoms. However, over time, some kingdoms won the Game of Thrones. They became more powerful. Others weren't. And then sometimes the scales tipped. The powerful fell, the um, lower kingdoms rise, etc. There was a time where the kingdom of Northumbria, which is in northern England, was the most powerful. Then there was a period of time where the kingdom of Mercia, which is located in the heartland of England, took that spot. Um, We now look at that time as the Mercian supremacy as we approach the late 700s with the death of a very powerful king of Mercia, King Alpha, and the arrival of a certain group of people we now call the Vikings. Another kingdom benefited from Lord Peter Baelish's talk on how chaos is a ladder. The Vikings invaded, there was chaos all over the place, and then the kingdom of Wessex, as a result of that, gains power. They expanded their territory, etc., etc. So one thing that I'm going to do in the lead up to the Battle of Eddington in 878 is talk about that kingdom, as I mentioned, the Kingdom of Wessex, which is located in southern England. They benefited from a strong series of kings and the arrival of the Vikings to solidify their place as the most powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdom of England. And in the next episode in the series, talk about how they actually formed the first unified kingdom of England the same one that Queen Elizabeth II currently rules in a modern-day capacity. So in the late 700s, the seven or eight kingdoms that initially formed in the 500s sort of were condensed to four at that point. You know, one kingdom swallows another, they swallow another, etc. Wessex in the south, Mercia in the heartlands, Northumbria in the north, and then there's one that I have not mentioned yet called East Anglia. Northumbria to the north borders what we now think of as the country of Scotland, And then the Welsh kingdoms are to the west of Mercia, which is in the middle portion of England as well. The primary source that I'm going to use is called the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which I will say right now is sometimes a little fuzzy with its exact dates in a lot of cases. Um, So I apologize in advance if um, there's something that is inconsistent with something maybe I have said previously or inconsistent with other sources that you, the listener, may have read at some point. Also, a few of these characters have featured in the shows The Last Kingdom and or Vikings. So in case anybody has been drawn to this podcast as a result of getting into Norse mythology via those shows, I'll mention it to allow those listeners to put an actor's face to the names and maybe allow them to have a better picture of the story of what happens. With those four kingdoms that I mentioned being the four kingdoms that are in power in England, again, Wessex, Mercia, East Anglia, and Northumbria, They were doing their thing. Each kingdom was trying to usurp power, gain power. And in Mercia, there was a King Alpha, as I mentioned, who was very powerful, who was at the end of his life. So the first instance of Northmen being mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle does not actually happen in 793, which is widely considered the start of the Viking Age. But this copy of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle mentions something that happened in the year 787. So, and I quote, And in the days came first three ships of the Northmen from the land of robbers. The reeve then rode thereto and would drive them to the king's town, for he knew not what they were, 
and there he was slain. These were the first ships of the Danish men that sought the land of the English nation. And I believe the king they were talking about who was slain was the king of Northumbria at the time. The next, um, the next instance of them being mentioned was 793, and it's their attack on the monastery at Lindisfarne. It had a lot of riches. There was pretty much no defenses there. So you can put two and two together as to why this might be a target for a group of people that follow the Norse gods and do not follow the Christian god. So I'll read this one too. Here were dreadful forewarnings come over the land of Northumbria and woefully terrified the people. These were amazing sheets of lightning and whirlwinds, and fiery dragons were seen flying in the sky. A great famine soon followed these signs, and shortly after in the same year, on the sixth day before the Ides of January, the woeful inroads of heathen men destroyed God's church in Lindisfarne by fierce robbery and slaughter. That's widely considered to be the start of the Viking Age, and it kind of changed the game over what was happening in the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms that were having enough problems fighting each other and trying to gain land against each other. This new player arrives. So in 794, this continues. The heathen army spread devastation among the Northumbrians and plundered the monastery of King Everth of Mercia at the mouth of the Ware. There, however, some of their leaders were slain and some of their ships were shattered by the weather. So you'll see here, the Vikings suffer some casualties. And you'll see over the next few decades in the lead up to um, the Battle of Eddington, again, which would be in 878, the Vikings lose just as many battles as they win. So if you look at the Vikings, they were very good at surprise attacks and like amphibious warfare. Their ability to use their Viking ships allowed them to maneuver along coasts and through rivers very well. However, if they were in a position where they matched shield wall to shield wall against an imposing army, they lost their advantage. So I think that's kind of what happens when you get more and more Vikings to England. They will go shield wall to shield wall, and they may lose even more often than they win. So moving forward to the year 800, this is where King Egbert succeeded to the West Saxon kingdom. So the king of Wessex is the same King Egbert that is on the show Vikings who served as the main adversary of the Viking Ragnar Lothbrok. I wanted to mention that there because I thought he was a great character on the show. But also, if you read the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, he, he was very good at what he did. He was very good at spreading the influence of the kingdom of Wessex, especially in the wake of King Offa's death, which happened in 794. The Chronicle moves on to 822. Egbert defeated King Bernwulf of Mercia in battle and also won dominion over Kent, Sussex, Essex, and East Anglia. Kent, Sussex, and Essex, I kind of lumped them in with Wessex, um, and that's ultimately where they ended up. However, at this time, it seems those kingdoms were separate, but it also mentions here that he held dominion over East Anglia. In 827, King Egbert, conquered the Mercian kingdom, being the eighth king who was sovereign to all British dominions. There's this title that we now look at as being called Bretwalda. The same Egbert led an army against the Northumbrians where they offered terms of their obedience and subjugation. So I mentioned that the kingdom of England has not been unified yet. However, you can make a case that one of the Bretwaldas, in this case, maybe King Egbert, were the true official kings of England because they held dominion over the land, or they they held 
other kingdoms to be their subjects. In the list of Bretwaldas from the previous genera- or from the previous centuries, you have Aya of Sussex, uh, Chailwyn, I probably said that incorrectly, from Wessex, Ethelbert from Kent, Raedwald from East Anglia. Then there were three kings from Northumbria, Edwin, Oswald, and Oswy, and then King Egbert is listed as the eighth, so King Egbert of Wessex. However, he lost those kingdoms relatively quickly. It kind of ended at that point, but he did some damage um, in the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, even while the Viking raids were happening. 832, this year, the heathen men overran the Isle of Sheppey, which is part of Kent's. 833, this year, fought King Egbert with 35 pirates at Charmouth, where a great slaughter was made, and the Danes remained masters of the field. So there he loses a battle against the Vikings. However, and then 835, the Danes actually, or the Vikings, actually unite with the Welsh to fight against King Egbert, which he ends up winning. Um, at a place called Hengiston, which is part of Cornwall, which is in southwestern England, if you look at a modern-day map. Then it kind of is unclear here. In the year 836 or 839, Egbert died, and his son Ethelwolf became king. Ethelwolf was also a character on the show Vikings. Ethelwolf gave his first son, Athelstan, the sub-kingdom of Kent. So Athelwolf has many sons, and we're actually going to talk about all of them. The first one is Athelstan. It is not the same Athelstan who is on the show Vikings. So 837, there was a battle. The Danes won. 839, an elderman was slain by the heathens. Many people were slaughtered in Lindsay, East Anglia, and Kent. 839, there was a slaughter in London. So at this point, the Vikings are, are really doing a lot of damage. 840, King Athelwolf lost a battle at Charmouth. 845, two aldermen defeated the Danes in battle. So you'll see it kind of, as I mentioned earlier, it kind of goes back and forth. So 851, the Danes lost two battles, but then stayed over winter at the Isle of Thanets. The same year came 350 ships into the mouth of the Thames and stormed Canterbury in London, putting to flight King Bertolf of the Mercians, and then marched into Surrey. Here, Ethelwolf and his son Ethelbald the second son of Ethelwolf, fought with them at Ockley and made the greatest slaughter of the heathen army that we have ever heard reported to this present day. So you'll see there was a pretty big victory for the uh, Saxons in, the King, in King Ethelwolf of Wessex in 851. However, it didn't stop there. In 855, King Ethelwolf died and his two sons succeeded to the kingdom. I have mentioned Athelstan. However, the two sons that succeeded to the kingdom were Ethelbald, his second son, got the kingdom of Wessex, and then his third son, Ethelbert, got the kingdom of Kent. I think it's mentioned as a sub-kingdom. It's unclear as to whether or not these were two kingdoms that were absolutely separate, or if Kent served as a sub-kingdom of Wessex. And there's the implication here that Ethelwolf's first son, Athelstan, died before him, which is actually what happens. Five years later, this year died King Ethelbald. So Ethelbald, Ethelwolf's second son, died, and Ethelbert became the king of the entire area, including the king of Wessex. So Ethelbert is now king in the year 860. He's the third son of Ethelwolf. However, it makes a note here under the year 860 that he reigned five years, which means he died in the year 865. What happens then? Ethelwolf's fourth son, Ethelred, takes over the kingdom of Wessex. And note here that Athelwolf has a fifth son named Alfred, who we now know as Alfred the Great. So Alfred is a fifth son of Athelwolf. 865. This year sat 
the heathen army in the Isle of Thanets and made peace with the men of Kent, who promised money therewith, but under the security of peace and the promise of money. So what happens here, it seems like this is the first time that the Danes are being paid off to leave. They're being paid for peace, which is great if you're trying to get rid of these Vikings and you want to pay them to leave. However, you lose money and it also enables them to want to come back for more at another date. So 866, this year Ethelred, brother of Ethelbert, took to the Wexaxon governments. The same year came a large heathen army into England and fixed their winter quarters in East Anglia, where they were soon horsed and the inhabitants made peace with them. So the East Anglians this saw this horde coming and they just made peace with them and said, we'll give you whatever you want. Um, you can stay here, you can farm here, etc. Then the army marched into Northumbria and they deposed that king of Northumbria, Osbert. And then they installed a puppet king, Ayla. However, later in the year, they reneged on the deal and slaughtered much of the Yorkshire population, York being the uh, primary city in Northumbria, along with both kings they have now conquered the first of the four kingdoms. In the year 867, the Vikings toppled Northumbria. And I also wanted to make a note here that the King Ella mentioned is the same king that, first of all, showed up on Vikings, but he's also the same king that shows up in the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, where the sons of Ragnar execute King Ella using the Blood Eagle as revenge for their father. This army that arrived that's showing up in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, a lot of people will tie that in to them being the sons of Ragnar. Were Ragnar's sons real people? Maybe they were. Maybe they, maybe they weren't. But we do know that there's people that did raid England, that they did invade England and try to take over lands. However, how much of that is reality? We do know that there was a King Ayla. Did King Ayla get killed by the Blood Eagle? Probably not. But it's really fun to think about. In 870, the army took over East Anglia. They killed its king, uh, King Edmund. The names of the leaders who slew King Edmund were Fingvar and Huba, better known as Ivar, the Boneless, and Uba, you have also seen on the show Vikings. Uba was also a character on the Last Kingdom series. In 871, the attacks on the Kingdom of Wessex start, the first of which being at Reading. King Ethelred and his brother Alfred fought back and lost. Four nights later, they fought with the army at Ashdown, and they won. Two, there were two heathen kings there, Baxig and Hafton, Hafton being another son of Ragnar Lothbrok. At this battle, Baxig died. A fortnight after Ethelred and Alfred lost the battle to the army at Basin. Two months later, they fought with the army at Marden. They also lost that one. After Easter of this year, Alfred's brother, King Ethelred, died. So Alfred took the kingdom of Wessex as Ethelwulf's fifth son. So he was a very unlikely king. And I did want to make a note here that Ethelred actually had a son who was probably anywhere from like four to seven years old, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older. Primogeniture was not the way that succession worked at this time in England, meaning the eldest son was not automatically the person that inherited the kingdom. After Ethelred died, the Witten, which is a group of nobles um, or eldermen, also with a lot of influence within the kingdom, decided that Alfred would be the next king because Alfred being the king is probably better than what may have been a five-year-old fighting back against the Viking horde. So within a month of becoming king, Alfred lost a battle 
to the army at this place called Wilton. In the same year, the West Saxons made peace with the army, so they probably paid them off. In 874, the army drove King Burfred of Mercia into exile to Rome. The same year, they gave Chaelwulf, an unwise king's thane, as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle mentions, the Mercian kingdom to hold, and he swore oaths to them and gave hostages. So they installed a puppet king to Mercia, and they have now taken over Northumbria, Mercia, and East Anglia. There's only one kingdom left, being the kingdom of Wessex, the last kingdom. So in 878, the West Saxons were sort of ambushed at a place called Chimedim while they were celebrating Christmas. Alfred was on the run. He fled into the Somerset marshes. So you actually see this in the last kingdom as well. You see Alfred, um, you know, having to escape into the marshes, staying there, like defeat right at their doorstep, etc. Like there was a very grim idea that it was all lost at this point. The kingdom of Wessex has fallen. However, Alfred goes out and raids the uh, the local levies, and he mounts one last attack against the Vikings. And by say when I say last attack, I'm maybe at the time it felt like it was going to be the last attack. Um, but he escaped. He gets out of there with his army, and then he goes on to meet the the Vikings in battle at at Eddington. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. Then within one night, he went from his retreat to Hay. And within one night after he proceeded to Headington, which Eddington, and there fought with all the army and put them to flight, riding after them as far as the fortress where he remained a fortnight. Then the army gave him hostages with many oaths that they would go out of his kingdom. They told him also that their king would receive baptism, and they acted accordingly. For in the course of three weeks after, King Guthrum, attended by some 30 of the worthiest men that were in the army, came to him at Alar, which is near Athelney. And there the king became his sponsor in baptism, and his chrism leasing was at Wedmore. He was there 12 nights with the king, who honored him and his attendants with many presents. So Guthrum was obviously a new general at this time. He brought in a force a few years earlier called the Great Summer Army. So Guthrum comes in, loses this battle to Alfred, and then agrees to receive that baptism, which is very interesting. Because if you potentially look at the idea of a Viking, you may think that they have very strong bonds to Odin. Like, why would a, a Viking decide to convert to Christianity? Probably the very religion that they hated at the time. He lost. He was given his life or he had the option to spare his life, and he was he had the option to uh, become rich. Yeah, he was given the kingdom of East Anglia, which previously fell from King Edmund. This event was very interesting to me because this was like the mark that turned the tide against the falling kingdoms of the Anglo-Saxons. So King Alfred of Wessex comes out of these marshes, raises an army, defeats Guthrum in battle, and then it sort of changes the next few decades of the entire kingdom of England. And it allows the kingdom of Wessex to start spreading its influence, gaining land to the point where a few decades later, the uh, current king of Wessex becomes the king of a unified England. Short term, 
this started the formation of what would be called called the Dane Law. There were a lot of Norse inhabitants that have already settled lands in the north of England. So at this point, the Kingdom of Wessex was still there. They cut Mercia in half. So Mercia acted as a, on the Anglo-Saxon side, acted as a sub-kingdom to Wessex. The Danes got the rest of it. Guthrum took the name Athelstan, and he was the king of East Anglia as a Christian. And then all the lands of Northumbria were also a part of what would be, what would be called the Dane Law. So the actual fighting and the raiding did not stop for a while. However, at this point, you go from four kingdoms, um, Northumbria, East Anglia, Mercia, and Wessex. And then in the span of a few decades, because of the arrival of the Vikings, there's only one kingdom left. It's the kingdom of Wessex. And then they still have these Danish and Norse settlers, you know, all along Saxon lands. I, again, find this very fascinating. I kind of threw this together, um, you know, very quickly. So I do apologize if this was very unorganized. I think it's better for me to kind of just like go through it and like geek out as I go through it. But ultimately, the Battle of Eddington, which took place in 878, was the first battle that I think defines the future of England. In the next um, episode on Viking Age England, we're going to talk about the remaining years of Alfred's reign. We're going to talk about his son, King Edward. And then we're also going to talk about Edward's son, King Athelstan, three characters that are also on the show, The Last Kingdom. Um, So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, Have a great day. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you next time.